Hey, what's up, Mets fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Mets Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Cutajar, and I can't wait to get back into talking about the New York Mets. So, at this point in the year, I was really hoping that a new CBA would be in place, negotiations between players and owners would be completely over, and the 2022 season and spring training would have been well on its way. But, alas... Here we are. Uh, earlier this week, Rob Manfred canceled the first two series of the year, which would have been the Mets playing the Nationals and Braves at home. So now we're faced with a situation where this is the third year in a row where the Mets will not play on their scheduled opening day. So, you know, this just really stinks for a whole number of reasons, but to, to hopefully you know, look on the brighter side of things, I thought that I would continue with, you know, breaking down the Mets positional groups heading into the season. And hopefully by the time, you know, we get to the end of this, <laughs> a, a, a new CBA will be in place and, and maybe we'll we'll be able to talk about sort of the, the crazy free agency and trades that I'm, I'm sort of expecting to happen once the lockout ends and then get right into the 2022 season. So, you know, like I said last time, I'm kind of breaking down these positional groups by the groups that I think are the most set. Last time I talked about the outfield, which, you know, I f generally feel is is pretty solid. I know there have been some rumors going around about the Mets maybe reuniting with Michael Conforto, which I would love. But, but I do think the outfield is the most set group, which takes us to this episode, which is taking a look at the infield, which, you know, I think there is potential for change. I, I do think there are options there, which I'm going to get into. But overall, I feel like the, the infield is like the outfield relatively set. So I want to get into looking at last year's group, this year's potential group for 2022, and then get into my thoughts on what I think about the infield. So getting right into it, I want to start by taking a look at last season's infield. I'm going to look at the starters. I'm going to look at some bench guys. I know there were tons of bench guys, you know, going in and out, but just sort of the, the main players. And also I'm going to take a look at Javi Baez, who was a, a trade pickup. So to start last year at first base, we had Pete Alonso. He hit 262, 344, 419 for an 863 OPS. He had 37 home runs with 94 RBIs, super productive at the plate, a huge bounce back season from 2020. And in the field, he also looked a lot better playing first base. He was worth two fielding runs above average and five defensive runs saved. Overall, last season, you know, unfortunately, Alonso did get hurt for a little bit of the year, but overall was a very, very good year. And I was very happy to see that because, you know, he had his amazing rookie campaign in 2019 and then 2020 was definitely a, a sophomore slump year. So it was great to see him bounce back in 2021. Next up, we have McNeil at second base. He was the guy who ended up playing the most games at second base, which is why I slotted him in this position and and called him, you know, the the starter, although there were a a bunch of different players who played at second base. But McNeil, he hit 251, 319, 360 for a 679 OPS. Definitely a down year for McNeil. I I mean, no really no way to go uh, to get around that. He's 
you know, we're used to him being a high 200s, over 300s hitter. And, you know, for him to hit in the 250s, definitely not not ideal. You know, by the time Lindor and Baez were, were both healthy and together, he had kind of fallen into more of a bench role and outfield role. So, you know, definitely a disappointing year. On defense at second base, though, a very solid year for McNeil. He, he was worth three defensive run, uh, three total fielding runs above average and four defensive runs saved. You know, obviously he had his problems with Lindor, which I'm going to talk to in the second half of the show. But, you know, it definitely, definitely a down year for McNeil. Up next, looking at Lindor, you know, the big trade going into last season, lots of hype, but definitely a a big letdown, you know, got the big contract before the season began. Everyone was was super excited to have this this top shortstop, but he had a down year and, you know, he hit 230, 344, 412 for a 734 OPS. He had 20 home runs. Um he only hit uh six he only drove in 63 runs, only 63 RBIs for Lindor, so, you know, not the most productive year. But he did pick it up at the end. He hit 257, 346, 549 with nine home runs and 25 RBIs in September slash October. So, you know, gotta gotta give him credit there. Also in that period of September and October, he hit for an 895 OPS, which is amazing. So, you know, that is is an, an important sort of trend seeing his his improvement at the end of the season and I'm going to get into more of that later in the second half as well on defense very solid Lindor always a great defender he was worth three total fielding runs above average and four defensive runs saved so you know just one of the the better defenders overall in the league and one of the best defensive shortstops in the league we saw that fully on display. He he was everything that he was hyped up to be. So that was great to see that even though his production at the plate was was far below what we expected, his defense was very solid. Up next is Jonathan VR. He ended up being, you know, the pretty much everyday third baseman as the the year went on. For his season, he hit 249, 322, 416 for a 738 OPS. He also hit 18 homers, which I really wasn't expecting, and he stole 14 bases, which was nice to see. On defense, he was worth zero total fielding runs above average and minus four defensive runs saved. So average to below average at third base. And then finally, Looking at James McCann, catcher, he hit 232, 294, 349 for a 643 OPS. Definitely disappointing. You know, I, before the season, there was obviously, you know, some worry about McCann because he has had such an up and down career. And unfortunately, he really just did not have a great year at the plate. On defense, he was solid. He was worth four total fielding runs above average. But minus five defensive runs saved. His caught stealing percentage was 27%, with the league's percentage being 25%. So he was slightly above average there. You know, overall, uh, I would say a pretty decent defender. So, so you know, that sort of sums it up for McCann. Now looking at the bench guys, I just want to go over a couple of the guys who, who really I felt were, were pretty impactful. First is Tomas Nito, the backup slash second catcher. He hit 222, 261, 327 for a 588 OPS. He's not really great with his bat. That's not what he's known for, but on defense, he's outstanding. He had 
He was worth five total fielding runs above average and 10 defensive runs saved. And he also had a 57% caught stealing percentage. Note that he only started in 45 games, so the sample size isn't huge, but 57% caught stealing percentage is amazing. Next up is J.D. Davis. You know, always known for his bat. He hit 285, 384, 436 with an 820 OPS last season. But as we all know, he is really just a liability in the field at this point. He was worth minus three total fielding runs above average and minus seven defensive runs saved at third base. As we all know, at the end of the season, he was basically only used in a pinch hitting role. And I don't really know if we're going to see him this season on the Mets, but maybe he'll be back in some sort of a DH role. And then finally, the last bench guy I want to look at is Luis Guillorme. Last Last season, he hit 265, 374, 311 for a 685 OPS. He played more third base than any other position last season, which kind of surprised me because I I sort of picture him more as a, a shortstop second baseman guy. But he was worth zero total fielding runs above average and minus two defensive runs saved at the hot corner. And he can also play an average shortstop in second base. At shortstop, he's worth minus two total fielding runs above average and minus one defensive run saved. And he's worth zero at both of those stats at second base. So, you know, pretty average at basically all three of those positions. But his versatility and the fact that he is not really outstandingly bad at any of those positions makes him a a really really great guy to have off the bench and then as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment I have to mention Javier Baez he only played on the Mets for 47 games but in that time he hit 299 371 515 with an 886 OPS and on the Mets the second base was worth minus four total fielding runs above average and three defensive runs saved now this season the, the entire infield is relatively similar. You have Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, and McCann returning. But the main difference, the big signing the Mets made was, or one of their big signings that the Mets made before the lockout, was signing Eduardo Escobar. Last season with Arizona and Milwaukee, he hit 253, 314, 472 for a 786 OPS. He also crushed 28 home runs, 26 doubles, and had 90 RBIs. And on defense, you know, he's sort of a, a meh third baseman. He, he was worth minus eight total fielding runs above average and minus three defensive runs saved. So, you know, not great. And I'm going to get into a little bit with, with the defensive setup in the next segment. But moving on now to looking at this year's bench guys, Again, relatively the same outside of some of the veteran players who were here, you know, departing. Guys like Jose Peraza, who who were somewhat impactful last season, who won't be returning to the Mets this year. But this season, the Mets will be getting back Robinson Cano. So 2020 was a shortened year, and he used PEDs in 2020, resulting in his last last season 2021 suspension so looking at his stats I had to go back to his last full season which was in 2019 so in 2019 he hit 256 307 428 for a 736 OPS and he also had 13 home runs his defense at second base in 2019 was minus five total fielding runs above average and two defensive runs saved that's what he was worth at second base so you know, not great and overall not great. I'm going to get into in, in just a little bit more about Cano, but 
you know, definitely an interesting, an interesting topic of discussion. But, you know, overall, this year's infield does not really look any different than last year's infield outside of the Escobar signing and Cano's return. So now that we've looked at last year's infield and compared it to this year's infield, I want to take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to get into my thoughts on the 2022 Mets infield. All right, and welcome back. So now that I've gone over the Mets 2021 infield and bench guys and contributors and taken a look at the the sort of differences in the 2022 infield, I think it's time to get into my thoughts on what to expect and what to sort of look for in this 2022 infield. So, you know, like I mentioned, overall, this infield is relatively unchanged, but there is definitely a lot of room for improvement. There's not much to say about Alonzo. He had, like I said, a great bounce back year last year. Just got to hope that he keeps doing what he was doing. And, you know, his power is so dangerous. 37 home runs. And he was injured for a period of the season. So the fact that he had 37 home runs being out a couple weeks is is outstanding. Um, you know, he was a, a top guy on the team in strikeouts, but he also led the team in hits. So he was just an extremely productive player. And like I said, he he showed major improvement on defense. So when it comes to Alonzo, nothing really to, to say. Just hope that he can keep up what he was doing. Now, that being said, there are a number of guys on the Mets who the, the team is really going to be hoping they have bounce back years for this team to be successful. The the first guy who comes to mind is James McCann. He was extremely disappointing last year. I thought overall he was a solid defender, and it was nice to have a catcher who could run compared to Ramos before him. And he was a, a solid guy at throwing out runners, but his bat left a lot to be desired. He was one of the least clutch players on the team. It always felt like he was hitting in the double plays, but to his credit, so was everyone else. So can't really 100% be like he he was the worst bat on the team, but he definitely was one of the bats that never really showed any any major sign of of picking it up here throughout the year. So, you know, definitely hoping that he can bounce back. Similarly with McNeil, he also had a major down year. His future seems to be in jeopardy. As I sort of touched on before, him and Lindor are kind of have had sort of hostile interactions with the the whole raccoon situation so you know there are reports coming out that that his attitude is not really appreciated in the clubhouse and ultimately that could result in a trade i'd rather keep him because i don't want to discount his other seasons uh you know every other season of his career besides last year he's had a 130 ops plus or higher and even compared to the rest of the team last season, he was still the third highest batting average. And I know batting average isn't the best way to measure a hitter, but he had the third highest batting average on the team. So, you know, I think it would be worth giving McNeil a chance to bounce back, maybe with this new hitting coach and and maybe sort of a a different approach at the plate will result in him having a a more McNeil-like year than what he did last year. I don't think... It's time for the Mets to give up on him yet, but I don't I don't know what's going to happen based on these reports about his attitude that is sort of 
you know, bigger than just what the stats and what his performance on the field shows. And then finally, the last guy really, you know, looking for a bounce back is Francisco Lindor. He he seems to be the most obvious candidate. But like I mentioned before, he had an amazing September and October at the end of the year. And even after his abysmal April slash March month, he really was picking it up the entire year. And, you know, it kind of got his his improvement got cut short because he was out a month with an injury but he had a 765 OPS in the month of June and a 989 OPS throughout the month of July and then like I mentioned he had a great September and October he finished the year with an 895 OPS in September slash October so he's shown momentum he's showing promise he had overall a bad year at the plate but I think you know, with Lindor, with McNeil, with McCann, this 2022 infield and 2022 Mets offense really depends on those guys having bounce back years. And I think they all have the potential to do that. Additionally, I think that there's room for improvement that the Mets might go out and get new guys. I, I like Escobar. I really like that signing. I think he is a super solid bat you know, a very productive hitter. I talked about all of his extra base hits and RBIs. So I think he is a great batter, but obviously his statistics in the field show he may not be the the best defender. So the Mets might be going and looking to upgrade at third base, especially if McNeil is on the trade block. Um, you know, the, the most obvious answer is Chris Bryant. The Mets have been heavily connected to him for over a year now. He's relatively average in the field, but he also brings a very powerful bat. So not saying that's going to happen, and I honestly don't think that is the the best move the Mets can make coming out of this lockout, but it would definitely not surprise me, especially with this, this super shortened free agency that's bound to happen, and you know the Mets might feel that they just need to go all in and, and grab him as soon as they can. So, you know... Well, we'll see what happens with that, but you know, there there could be room for improvement when it comes to just adding players in general. Now, finally, looking at the bench, I think the bench is very solid. I think Cano will probably be used at least to start if he's, you know, starting on the team, which he probably will be as the DH. I like his potential, you know, all scandals aside, he had a solid 2019 with the Mets and a very good 2020, although that was obviously not 100% his own skill there, but, you know, I do think he is one of, you know, has been one of the best bats for, you know, a decade and a half or so. So you can't discount that. And in the in the winter leagues this past winter, he hit 344, 419, 406 with an 825 OPS. So he does have a very solid bat and still shows that he can perform at a high level. He didn't have any home runs in the winter leagues, which is a little concerning, but you know, I do think that if the Mets put him in a DH role, that that can't hurt can't hurt them, but I, I don't think he will be playing in the field. I also really like Nito. I want to give him, you know, a little shout out because he had a great year behind the plate and honestly started the year very solid at the plate but kind of took a downswing as the year went along but you know I think having him next to McCann is great because you know you have two solid defensive catchers with Nito being an exceptional defensive catcher and you know you can't get enough of those guys so it's great to have that it's it's great to have those players on your squad so 
Overall, I'm less comfortable with the infield than I am with the outfield. I think that the Mets are really relying on guys to bounce back, which is, I don't know, just a risky thing to hope for. You don't know if that's going to happen. You can't really expect every guy to just turn it around next year without anyone else sort of having a a down year. You know, that's not not something you can expect, and that's just why I don't you know, I'm not as confident in the infield as I am in the outfield where significant concrete improvements were made. All of that being said, though, I'm excited. I'm excited for the potential. I'm excited to see those guys back on the field whenever they can. And I'm just really excited for the 2022 season to begin whenever that may be. So let me know what you think. Send any thoughts, questions, opinions about anything I said or anything else about the Mets to my Twitter at PodMets. I love talking about the Mets. I love talking about baseball. So send any of your thoughts to my Twitter at PodMets and don't forget to follow as well. So that is going to be it. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Like I just said, be sure to follow my Twitter at PodMets and follow the podcast wherever you listen so that you can get new episodes as soon as they drop. Thank you so much again for listening. And as always, let's go Mets.